because the first scene is exactly disrupting one of the most prevalent stereotypes about Latinx on TV, which is the criminal or the badero. And then the minute after this is deconstructed, it was actually a scene about renting books, you know, at a local library and books about love. Welcome to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications and WAER. I'm Kevin Claus. On this episode, I chat with Newhouse PhD students Candice Green and Hayano Chikahavalu. They released a paper recently entitled Complex Identities on Streaming TV, a textual analysis of Latinx representation on Netflix's Hentified. We discuss how the show disrupted racial stereotypes and how it signals positive signs for representation in the future. Hayana, Candace, thanks so much for stopping by today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Kevin. So you guys were part of a study called Complex Identities on Streaming TV, a textual analysis of Latinx representation on Netflix's Hentified. Correct, yeah. What's the launching off point for this? Where is the sort of origin interest, if you will, that made you guys want to pursue this as an academic study? Um, So, Kevin, thank you so much for having us again. Um, Kenneth and I are both Ph.D. students at the Newhouse School. Uh, We're doing a program in mass communications. So this study actually started when I was doing one of my courseworks. Um, And I've been very um, interested in aspects of identity, representation, and how media are implicated in these processes. So I started to do this course on race, gender, and class, which really focused on um, the intersectionality of these identity categories. And for our final essay, we had to write about um, our view on a given social project on or an intervention on anti-racism. And because media is really a core part of the things that I want to study, I started to think about how certain representations of historically marginalized communities have been disrupted in recent representations uh, on streaming television. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from Brazil originally. I'm from Latin America. Um, I consider myself to be part of a group that has been historically marginalized. And I'm talking here about this broad category of Latinx. Um, so that's how I started, you know, to engage with this project. It was first analyzing two TV shows, Jane the Virgin and One Day at a Time, and whether they disrupted or not previous stereotypes of Latinx on television. And then that evolved, right? Because we have already worked on these show, specific shows, and I was curious to see whether the trends would remain in terms of whether maintaining or disrupting stereotypes on streaming content. That's when I started to come up with the idea of analyzing Hentified, which was a more recent show. And Kenneth and I worked in the same office. Mm -hmm. I knew her interests. She also taught classes on media and diversity. Mm -hmm. She has an interest on representation and identity. And we just started talking. And I asked, hey, would you like to do the study with me? And I said, yeah. (laughs) And uh, I think for our first part was really just um, at that point, I hadn't watched the show at all. And so she was like, well, I'll tell you what. 
just watch an episode, see if you like it. Here's the trailer. Um, and then let me know. And then that was kind of our launching off point. And in regards to what you guys ended up studying here, what was it about Hentified that kind of jumped off the page and said, you know, this is this is something we really want to tackle? So a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a 2020 show. Uh, so very recent one. We started these conversations at the beginning of 2022. And as soon as we start from the first scene, you see there's something interesting and different about it. Because the first scene is exactly disrupting one of the most prevailing stereotypes about Latinx on TV, which is the criminal or the badero, right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how at the beginning, it shows one of the characters under the strope. By seeing it because of all the images that we already have, we think that he's going to engage with some type of criminal behavior. And then the minute after, this is deconstructed. It was actually a scene about renting books, you know, at a local library and books about love. So from the first scene, as an audience, you are challenged to rethink about your own assumptions when you see Latinx characters on television. So it was both of these things. It was recent. It was a Netflix production. A so platform. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we engage a little bit in these conversations about the role of streaming platforms in these um, disruptions. And from the first scene, the show sort of tells you this is not going to be a typical show about Latinx characters. We're actually going to challenge how you think about these characters. Was there something important about, because when we look at the history of streaming platforms, you know, Netflix was very early. Netflix is very prominent in terms of all the streaming platforms out there. Was there something important about the disruption in this program being not on a new streaming service, but on a very established one? Certainly, yes. Um, And it's interesting also how these negotiations go, right? So Hentified was actually a web series before Mm -hmm. going and Mm -hmm. being bought from Netflix. And it was already from that star. Um, being executive produced by America Fajira, right? She's a big name right. in the Latinx community. She was the one that did Ugly Barry, yep. Betty um, on ABC. So it starts, it starts from there, right? She's a big name, and she has that kind of power. And they had this very short seven episodes. It was only 10 minutes. And she was very strategic about trying to sell this to a big um, streaming platforms. And she used just the trailer to start the conversations with Netflix. And like you said, Netflix being one of the most established streaming platforms, they found, um, you know, the way that we see, they found a bigger platform to put what started just as a web 10 minutes, seven episode series into something that could be seen by many different audiences. And when you have like a Netflix production on this today, it gives a different, um, it opens a door for audiences who want to see that show. Just for context, I'd like if we could just maybe broadly unpack the premise of, of, of season one. We've talked a little bit about that opening scene, but if you had to explain season one sort of in a nutshell to someone, how would you, how would you describe it? So um, we have this Mexican-American family um, living in Boyle Heights, which is a neighbor, a real neighborhood in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And in real life, this neighborhood is going through a lot of gentrification processes, right? Which um, the one of the outcomes 
is actually dislocating local communities that used to live there because of a rise in in the um, in prices of of um, housing. residency mm-hmm. housing. Um, so we have that sort of social context that situates the characters of this of this family. We have the grandfather Casimiro, which owns a tech, a taco shop, mm-hmm. very Mexican, right? And maybe we'll talk a little bit about this, mm-hmm. but there is a little bit of a stereotype in that. Um, and he's trying to maintain the taco shop called Mama Fina, along with his grandsons, Eric, which grew up with his grandfather, Chris, which did not grow up with his grandfather and is coming back to try to save money, and his granddaughter, Anna, who's trying to be an artist. Um, and then we have some side characters who are also important to the develop of, of this nar- narrative arc. Somebody. Yeah, and through the uh, season, we get to explore their own individual aspirations, uh, whether it's Chris trying to become a chef, uh, Anna, their artist, Eric kind of navigating his relationship with um, his soon-to-be um, uh, his girlfriend, but soon-to-be uh, child, uh, mother of his child, um, and then the tensions around gentrification in their area. You know, to look at sort of the Latinx representation in this show, maybe how it's different, I assume you guys also had to look backwards a little bit on what's been the history mm-hmm. of that representation. During that look back, was there anything that either really surprised you or really stood out when you dug into that history? I think so. I think one of the things is that it hasn't always been bad. It's not that all the previous representations were bad. It's just that oftentimes it didn't kick off, right? And oftentimes even though there was an attempt to increase the visibility of this group through more progressive or positive representations, oftentimes this was still relying on stereotypes like othering the Latinx community. So I think what surprised me um, as I was digging into that history is is that it's not that it, it was always super, super bad, everything that was depicted, but that invisibility and the underrepresentation remains. Mm-hmm. So, I think this is this was one of the things. Yeah, I remember something else. I'll add, but no, I I think and and it's unfortunate what we, although Hentify did get to disrupt a lot of the stereotypes, it did fall to that same fate of being canceled after two seasons. So, you know, it's okay to to what I call fall into the trap of the trope if that's a launching off point. But once you stay in that trope and start to just live in that stereotype, you don't get the complexity or the stereo- the storylines of a multidimensional character that we can form a relationship with. Um, and it just stops there. And then it lives as just representation of tropes and stereotypes. So, yeah, but I want to let you... Yeah, if I can add to that, I think the other thing that um, Kenneth and I realize is we started, of course, from a position of hope, let's say like Mm -hmm. that, you know, oh, we have these new trends and representations. But when you look um, to the shows that we see as maybe um, 
good examples of more authentic and complexity representations, mm -hmm. many of these examples were canceled soon after they were launched. Um, so when you look at maybe the more recent history of um, streaming content about Latinx communities that depict these communities in a more nuanced ways, you also find this pattern that they were canceled too soon. So for example, One Day at a Time mm -hmm. is an example like Not that, mm -hmm. which was praised for you know this sort of uh, readaptation of the original show into representing this Cuban-American family that was canceled just after the third season. Um, and Hit the Five, Fault, you know, fell again into this pattern of being a show that was critically acclaimed for being a nuanced representation of a Mexican-American family and of Latinx communities, and then being canceled after, you know, two seasons. Um, so I think that's something that caught our attention and that made us think that we should keep studying this representation and not be simply misguided when we see a few you know, representations and say that everything is better now with streaming platforms because the reality is a little bit more complex than that. You know, a trap that I think we fall into sometimes when we're discussing research like this is we will talk about the research that was done, what was the subject matter, what did you guys look at, but we don't really unpack for people how did you, what was the process that you guys actually mm -hmm. followed. So for your study, what was your process to look at these complex identities in the show? Um, so first, I think you mentioned very well, there was a focus on identity, right? And in research like that, it's important to also have clear what is your lens, right? Uh, what exactly you were trying to unpack and emphasize. So from the start, we were trying to um, explore how sort of this identity was represented. So there was a little bit of study also on what defines Latinx identities. And this is a very complex matter because when we say Latinx, we're already flattening yeah. a lot of difference within that category, right? Um, so when you say Latinx, you can think of different ethnic heritages, right? And you can think also about a history of immigration and settlement, particularly in the U.S., and you can think about different political struggles that are specific to this community. So there are a lot of things that you could um, sort of associate with this broad, very general category called Latinx identity. So there was a little bit of conversations about exactly how we are defining and the complexities of this, and then identifying which of these complexities and nuances were effectively depicted on the show. And that's when the process of textual analysis starts, right? Um, so it was very important for me, and I guess for Candace mm -hmm. as well, that we were doing this together. There wasn't just one person looking at these images and analyzing the shows. So I'm going to start, and then Candace is free to compliment. Um, but we started watching the show separately, mm -hmm. right? And I try not to say any of my impressions to Candace when she went to start the show. We met, we talked a little bit about our And our by a little bit, we mean we talked a lot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Long discussions. Exactly. <laughs> and then according again to that literature, the framework on identity, we started to come up with some um, codes, right? Which is just like a description of 
the meanings that are emerging from, you know, the first episode. And then we watched independently again, you know, the mm -hmm. first and second episode. And what are the codes? What are the main meanings that are coming up about Latinx identities in the show? And then once we had sort of a set of different codes or of different meanings related to identity, um, we split the episodes, right? I watched four more episodes. Candace watched four more episodes. We did this crazy spreadsheet. A lot of we, <laughs> we wrote a lot of uh, reflective memos. And importantly, there was always this critical eye about representation. And when we mean critical is what are sort of the cultural values and cultural meanings that are being either reinforced or disrupted in these images, in the scripts, um, in the storylines. And just to finalize, we did use the written scripts to sort of do and identify mm -hmm. these codes while we were watching, again, the episodes. Yeah, and, and I wanna just clarify, when we talk about disrupting stereotypes, it could be anything from just having that conversation on the screen, characters talking about a stereotype that is known within the community, uh, using words that describe um, people that have just racial slurs and, and, and having those kind of conversations could be a way of disruption. Um, and then reinforcing is almost not directly talking about what those stereotypes were. And so during our analysis, when we were separately analyzing each of the episodes, um, as Hayana highlighted, we independently um, listed what were some of the cultural um, conversations that were happening. Um, and we brought those back to each other. And once we had that shared meaning, that shared understanding and, and overarching themes that were popping out, so things that kept reappearing, um, is really how we started to organize our analysis. If we can maybe go, go back to the codes that you mentioned. So you're essentially giving themes to the episodes with those codes. Can you just give maybe a couple of examples of, of things, the codes that were used? Mm -hmm. Um, so, for example, we saw, and we discussed this a little bit in the paper, we saw this affirmation or celebrity in uh, a sense of depicting pride in being Mexican-American. And that often comes about specific references to um, rituals, symbols, and cultural artifacts mm -hmm. that are really known by this community, right? So, for example, we have scenes in which uh, a character has tacos inside a heart-shaped box. Mm -hmm. So you have that, a specific sort of cultural reference to Mexicans and Mexican-Americans that many people know, but in a celebratory way, not, a, not in a derogatory way, right. right? It has literally the heart symbol with the, sh the taco symbol, right? And um, we also explored a lot about intersectionality. So, for example, we had a lot of conversations about the character of Jessica, who is an Afro-Latina and who is a queer um, character. So in that we saw, OK, there are many moments that these aspects of that identity are emphasized. You know, they are not hitting. They are discussed and they are part of the storyline and the dialogues. Right. So the intersection of being um, black, Latina, women, and queer, how 
that intersectionality played out in the scene that was, you know, part of one of our findings as well. And I don't know if... Yeah, I mean, even um, just going back to that pride, um, even the community of Boyle Heights, we're talking about gentrification of a location, but what that meant for the people we saw, um, just visual um, representations of street names delineating Boyle Heights from the other neighborhoods surrounding it uh, with like a street name like Cesar Chavez. You know, so somebody who has this, um, um, you know, historical and and still present day impact on the community. And we see that. And that is then opening an entrance into Boyle Heights um, and how the people of Boyle Heights see that community. So little visual imagery during the episode, um, but also these conversations that are happening. You guys have sort of uh, alluded to uh, the representation intensified and how that both to some degree has reinforced and in other degrees challenged those familiar tropes associated with Latinx communities and identities. So essentially what I'm asking here is Mm -hmm. what do you think the show got right? But also critically, what did the show still kind of get wrong in your opinion? We're, we're talking a lot about disrupting stereotypes, and I think that that is something that the show definitely gets right. It gives us an opportunity to see a multidimensional uh, ensemble cast of, of Latinidad or Latin people, which by far, right there, full stop, is amazing. But we also get to have these other layered conversations that is not just, I think, um, c- can be consumed by a Latin audience. I think this is still um, something that just in general people will gravitate towards and like. Unfortunately, it was canceled, but it is a great show that lives on Netflix. I think the things that it could have done a little bit more if given time um, is really draw out some of the stereotypes that were reinforced. Um, particularly with this idea of exceptionalism with women. Um, There's a couple characters who have to do it all and have to be just amazing in every category, which is dangerous as a stereotype in general. They're amazing. They're um, doing great things as far as their work and the things that they're achieving, but it it also is an unobtainable um, trait that we see among some of the um, female cast members and characters in the the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in addition to that, you know, there is always a tension, I guess, when you are depicting stereotypes, which Hentified, by trying to disrupt it, still depicts them, right? So we still see some associations that have been historically used to define Latinx characters on television, like the fact that they are um, disadvantaged economically, right? They are not exactly in a position of power. Um, They have a taco shop, a taco shop, which is another stereotype related to Mexicans. Um, And even though we have some discussions on um, intersectional identities through the character of Jessica, who is an Afro-Latina queer woman. Um, there are still many aspects about Latinx identity that are missing. For example, um, the indigenous heritage of Latinx communities. Mm-hmm. This is not present in Hentified. Um, and it's something that 
we see very little when we're talking and when we're representing Latinx communities. Um, so I would say that it's, you know, both both this, these things, you know, even though we see a disruption of stereotypes, we also see some stereotypes being effectively recycled and shown again. And there are still aspects of Latinx identities that um, are are made invisible in, in the representations of Hentify. And like Candace said so beautifully, it shouldn't be that the only way to represent women and Latinx women and marginalized mm -hmm. women are that of the overachiever. You know, uh, we should be able to see representations that are relatable, related to gender, but that doesn't have to be only if you're an overachiever that you can um, assume that position. Right. One way to combat a, a stereotype isn't necessarily, um, you know, succeeding all the way, but that's also some of the conflicts of the, the cultural stereotypes that actually manifest in our society right now is to, a way to combat those stereotypes is to make characters overachievers and it's succeeding in every dimension. So as we mentioned, Hentified debuts on Netflix, canceled unfortunately after two seasons. Mm -hmm. Balancing those two things out, do we think that a show like Hentified, do you think that points to positive changes in streaming television? Do you think a show like Hentified points to a positive change in streaming television? So we've talked about this. Um, we're torn because we're excited to see a show like Hentified. Um, but at the same time, after two seasons, uh, which we've touched upon, how much can you do uh, with just two seasons? Uh, so it's a great launching off point. We're excited to see these multidimensional characters uh, tackle some of the stereotypes that haven't been tackled before. Um, but what does that mean if you can only do it within two seasons so or 20 episodes? So we don't know. We're hopeful as we approached our analysis, we're hopeful. Um, we also recognize one show can't do it all. So where it's lacking, I think where we're most hopeful is, is that this may be an inspiration for uh, a Netflix to green light other shows. Um, and I think with the following that Hentified got, not only the critical acclaim, but this uh, longevity of the fans, there's still forums uh, that people are talking about it. Um, you know, hopefully that that it's being seen that there is a uh, demand for this type of program um, wherever it may live. And I think we understand the um, the advantage and the possibilities that a streaming platform can do it. Um, but we're really excited to see it happening really anywhere. Yeah, and um, I think the other thing too, and that goes into you know, economic aspect is that I started to have this impression um, after digging a little bit on, like you said, the history of these shows and this show more in particular, that is good for the platforms like Netflix to say that they are doing more in producing more diverse content. And then they can, they can claim that mm -hmm. when they put shows like Hentify. But we need the next step. We need these shows to last longer, you know, to add even more complexity. So even though it gives us hope because we are seeing more um, trends like that, sometimes it does look a little bit part of a performance in the sense that they can just put 
Some shows that are short-lived, they can claim that they are being more diverse, but they, they are not taking the next step, which is actually maintaining these shows for longer. Mm -hmm. So they can even leave a, a, a stronger history about, you know, uh, television representations of these groups. Uh, so I think, I think even though it points to positive changes, there's still a lot to be done. Mm -hmm. And another point that Kenneth and I talked a lot is the importance of having um, representation of Latinx communities and of other mar historically marginalized groups behind the scenes, mm -hmm. right? In the production, you know, making decisions, um, about you know maintaining the shows for longer, so we need to think about these aspects too. You know the political economy, let's say it like that, that goes behind the shows and behind these decisions, so that you know sort of these positive trends are not just only short-lived; they are actually a trend to stay. Hi, Anna, Candice, thanks so much for coming by today and sharing all this great information with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. That was great. Thanks for listening to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between WAER and the Newhouse School at Syracuse University. Our associate producer is Emma Hudson. And a special thanks to Dr. Regina Luttrell, Associate Dean of Research and Creative Activity. Find more from the department at newhouse.syr.edu research. You can find more about this podcast at waer.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. I'm Kevin Kloss. Thanks for listening.